Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to the Media Podcast. I'm Matt Deegan. On the show today, it's all change at the Daily Mail. Greg is out, Dacre's back, but is it Mail Online now calling the shots? Also on the program, Culture Secretary Nadine Dorry steps into the media spotlight. We try and glean something from that, plus the rise in fortunes at BuzzFeed and the latest rumours surrounding talk TV. That's all coming up in this edition of the Media Podcast. And joining me today is the joint MD of TV indie Great Scott Media. It's Leon Wilson. Hello, Leon. Hi, Matt. Um, and I guess since last we had you on the show, a few changes because your new indie, it all started, I guess, just kind of pre-pandemic, didn't it? Yeah, it was, Jan- it was perfect timing. Perfect timing, they say. Uh, January 2020, it's the real sweet spot for launching a new company, it turned out to be. Uh, <laughs> so yeah, we, we, we launched 2020. I left, Ed and myself left uh, Fremantle Talkback uh, the year before. We set up Great Scott, backed by all three. Uh, it was a quiet first year, for reasons we'll all be familiar with, but we've had a really good year this year. We made three series, uh, two for Channel 4 and one for Netflix, um, which is very exciting. We make reality shows uh, now because we, we made a show called Too Hot to Handle when we were at uh, Talkback. So we've been doing some reality shows and some comedy. And yeah, it's all going well, which is, is good after a difficult 2020. Yeah, so obviously you had quite a good relationship with, with ITV in the old days and, 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 and now out, outside, of, um, outside of Fremantle. Have, has, have they changed? Have the big broadcasters changed because of the pandemic and how they work? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think the, the key, the budgets are, we never weren't going up anyway, and they're certainly going, not going up any, they're going up slower than they were before. So yeah, I think money's tighter with the traditional broadcasters for the most part. Uh, obviously, they're having to pay for COVID costs as well. So that puts extra strains on the budget. Uh, and yeah, you do get more money for the, from the big streamers. But there's, you know, we've made two shows for Channel 4 this year. And there's nothing quite like a show going out on the actual telly still. It's still a real buzz when, you know, your show's on telly at a certain time and you can watch it. And you know that at least some people will be watching it at the same time. <laughs> Whether they thought they were going to or not, they will consume that <laughs> yes, content. Yeah. Even if the telly's just left on from the thing before it, they might be watching your show. They still count as Barb ratings viewers, and we like that. <laughs> yeah, they do. Uh, yeah. And returning to the podcast, we welcome back from Press Gazette, now the UK editor, Charlotte Tobit. Uh, hi, Charlotte. I can't help but notice a piece you've written this week on our new culture secretary, Nadine Dorries, and a history with the media. Can you give us some highlights? So, yeah, basically it's just some of her colourful highlights with the media in the past. For example, um, she's accused the Liverpool Echo of fake news. Um, she's had a row with one of the local newspapers in her own patch. She's 
criticised BBC impartiality and the licence fee and um, sort of most notably she uh, threatened a Sunday Mirror journalist manhood. Busy. She's been busy. I suppose there's that thing of being a backbencher. Um, there are some people that, that are kind of noisy backbenchers and uh, and they like kind of getting out there and saying things like this kind of gets you, gets you in the paper. It's a bit different when you're appointed a minister though, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I suppose the thing of interest will be whether she keeps up that sort of antagonistic relationship. I mean, she already kind of has, but then backpedaled on it. She um, quote tweeted... Uh, BBC political editor Laura Koonsberg recently, um, Laura had tweeted basically an anonymous view from another MP and Nadine uh, shared it saying, you know, this is ridiculous and everyone took it to be sort of her denigrating a BBC journalist and she later said, no, you know, I was doing nothing of the sort, people just can't understand what you mean anymore, um, Laura's one of the best in the business. But it does sort of sum up that there's that slightly touchy relationship there. Uh, our top story this week, uh, and we're back at the Daily Mail, uh, where editor Geordie Gregg has been ousted, um, and Mail on Sunday editor Ted Verity's installed, maybe as part of a new seven-day operation. The news hasn't really stopped around the Mail. What's What's been going on, Charlotte? It was only about three weeks ago that uh, Paul Baker stepped down from his roles of editor-in-chief and chairman of Associated Newspapers, which is like the parent company of the Mail Uh, Metro I and obviously that was all amid of uh, his sort of second go of the Ofcom chairman uh, application round uh, after being deemed unappointable last year and then the government reopening the process Uh, and then what happened was um, last Friday Paul Dacre revealed in a letter to the Times um, that he was withdrawing anyway and he sort of slammed the civil service and said you know he was never going to get a civil service job what was the point blah 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 I mean he basically said he was being discriminated against didn't he which I thought was an amazing (laughs) bit of male privilege he's the real victim here yeah so anyway he's got he's back at his paper that he obviously served and loved for such a long time and it's no coincidence that when he left Geordie Gregg was still at the Daily Mail and when he rejoined Geordie Gregg was gone because they've sort of been seen as long-term rivals and very opposing views on all sorts of things uh, not least Brexit so um, yeah as you say interesting times the machinations of it it's kind of interesting with the mail they've gone private again so they were a listed company and, and they've gone private uh, and that's because they've sold off uh, a, a couple of businesses and that means the mail's family or the Rothmere family had a big dividend and they could take could take it private again and all this has kind of happened together you know is this a a new focus for 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 Rothmere and and the company because they've sort of had to double down on newspapers again haven't they yeah I think it's sort of like they've decided if we're doing consumer media it's better to be able to focus on just that and probably won't have the sorts of shareholder returns alone that shareholders would like but I mean Mail Online is still growing it's still a massive business and the newspapers are still doing well in terms of print newspapers the daily mail and the mail on sunday are the tops in their markets the daily mail saturday edition in particular is still 1.4 million a week i think so they're just sort of figuring out how to do less well i think and how 
to make the most of what's going on in the current media ecosystem. I mean, Leon, do you think this would make a good uh, docudrama, the the ego wars in the uh, in Fleet Street between Rosemere and, and everyone else? Like a slightly grubbier succession. I think, <laughs> yeah, I think it would, yeah. It's fascinating to me. I really enjoyed the detail that he wrote the letter to the Times. Like, he probably thought, I'll write it to the Mail, and thought, no, that'll look like I'm too, you know, that's a bit suspicious. So I'll do the Times. Uh, there's a detail I, that was in one of the Press Gazette articles I really enjoy where they're talking about Lord Rothermere, where they were trying to make out he's just like a regular guy. Uh, and it was, the, it was I was at the opera when Rothermere and his wife Claudia came in. He slipped in quietly without a fuss, just like any other regular couple. I was like, you're at the opera. Like, this is not like, like he's not just like a man, oh yeah, he's just out and about, you know, like a regular dude. You're at the opera. Anyway, sorry, that's a slight detail. But yeah, I guess Rothermere could be played by, I don't know, who would play him well? Probably, well, Brian Cox, I guess. Why not? I mean, Dacre is a, is a strange man, isn't he, Charlotte? Yeah, he really wants the Ofcom job, as we can see from the letter. But obviously, he's, he feels very attached to the male. They think they need him. I mean, what do they need him for? To, is, it, is it that important to keep him in, in the business? So what they say he'll be doing is he won't be involved in any day-to-day editing, but he will be uh, advising Lord Rothermere and the editors of their respective papers. I mean, I suppose... I'm sure they love that. <laughs> well, I mean, Ted Verity, he's, he's going to be the male editor across all the days of the week. They get along well, apparently, so he maybe, maybe they just wanted to work together again. Uh, I don't know, but... Um, I suppose you could question whether he's sort of from the old era and whether they need more people looking to the new era. But as I said, if they're, they're still very successful in all their respective markets. So I suppose, you know, if it ain't broke, why fix it? Well, I do think it's interesting, you know, he didn't get the Ofcom job, obviously, but the point you make about him going back to the mail, like whatever your view politically about Dacre, he's been at the mail for over 40 years and I do think that if you're going to take the job like being the chair of Ofcom, having a more diverse uh, group of things in, on your CV, that you're not tied so specifically to one media group, would should be a requirement. So I, I'm not, you know, I'm not saying he shouldn't have got the job because of his political output, but just for the fact he's only worked at one company for over 40 years, I do think is gives you a very narrow uh, view of, of the media industry. And I, I would say that, you know, is a good reason why he maybe didn't get the job. Uh, well, he sort of said that when he when he wrote the letter, he sort of said he was off to work for a, uh, an interesting media business. And it's like, no, it's just the same one. Um, something that is interesting <laughs> that's been uh, happening, uh, and we talked about last time on the show, is uh, the BBC developing podcasts with an eye on TV. Uh, and sure enough, the Times are reporting, uh, I think last week, that several BBC podcasts are now being considered by their telly friends. Um, Charlotte, do you know which which podcasts are going to be um, uh, converted to television? Uh, so the, according to the Times, the BBC is looking at The Missing Crypto Queen and Tunnel 29, which are two of its biggest series. I must say I haven't listened to either of them, so I can't, I can't speak <laughs> to them. But I, I am intrigued. It makes perfect sense to me because um, I feel like podcast is still a relatively small market compared to TV. And then... So if they're the biggest within podcast, why not see if they can get a bigger, especially true crime type stuff? You know, we know that Netflix has loads of massive true crime things as well. So why not keep this trend going? The trend is clearly still a thing. Might as well make the most of it while it lasts. I mean, Leon, is, is a podcast just brilliant, cheap development for, for telechannels? 
I was suspicious when I saw you'd invite me on for this show <laughs> and you were covering this thing. And I was wondering, the media podcast trying to get me to buy the rights to turn it into a telly show? Yes. Uh, yes. Okay. The answer is, I'll think about it. Uh, yeah, I think it is like it's IP, isn't it? Most IP is already tied up by different, you know, in, in various companies, and it's fresh IP that's being created that you can uh, tap into. And it, yes, your development's partly done for you, and there's potentially an audience you could bring to the television version. I've I've optioned two podcasts. Uh, for television, not managed to sell either of them. Uh, and actually, what it's interesting you talk about being true crime. The ones I optioned were kind of more like comedy entertainment. And I feel like actually the lesson I learned from that is that the things that work well as podcasts are better maybe left as podcasts, whereas true crime is something that can be very easily translated to television, whereas like an entertainment chat thing, there's already a lot of that out there and maybe it's better left on pod. So, yeah, it, it's an interesting space. I still... I still would like to option more podcasts, but I haven't had any success selling them yet on telly. Do you think, and is part of the reason you option them that you think you can go to a broadcaster and say, look, this is already popular, it's like a demonstration of success, as well as this is a good IP idea that would work on the telly as well? I think a little bit of, yeah, the former, like there is a, this has been tested and there is an audience. The truth is the two that I optioned, I just really, really like them. Uh, beef and dairy um, if anyone's ever mm. heard that is, I just thought it was the funniest thing I'd ever heard when I got it and I just thought this has to be a television show and we did we did actually get some funding to do a script for it but it just didn't you know didn't get away and then one another one about 90s football which I love so really for me maybe that's the lesson for me is don't just go for things you love <laughs> go for things you think you can sell it's a, it's a great way isn't it to kind of tune into other people's passionate ideas that, that might not come over your desk or that they wouldn't know how to, to get shows uh, on on television, um, kind of in other in other TV news. This time, uh, live sport. Uh, Channel Four have secured the rights to show matches from the Rugby Super League. Uh, the first time the format's ever been shown on free to air. Um, Leon, I mean, it's been on Sky since its inception. I think it was basically a, like a twenty five year deal uh, originally. Why does rugby want to change it up? There's a, there's a couple of different views on this. One is that Sky weren't willing to pay as much money for the new deal, so therefore the Super League wanted, had to go elsewhere to partner up with Channel 4. I think the other thing is, probably from Channel 4's point of view, I think it's a really smart thing for Channel 4, this. Um, like it's a, it's a north sport that's popular in the north, where Channel 4 can not, often not connect particularly strongly with. Uh, people do equate live sport with kind of value for money on any broadcaster. And at a time when Channel 4 are trying to kind of maintain their sort of um you know uh, sort of uh, what's the word I'm looking for public um broadcaster sort of status having things like super league on it i think actually is a really good thing for them the amount of good publicity they got from getting the radicanu new york final rights like it i think for a lot of people that would be the first time they'd watch channel 4 for decades and suddenly everyone was like oh good old channel 4 so i think it's channel 4 spotting a good opportunity as much as um the super league needing to go elsewhere and is there something in um the need for the the sport as a whole to have suddenly um, you know, more access to, to free-to-air audiences and, and, and not lock their content away on, on subscription platforms? Uh, yeah, definitely. I, I think that um, certain sports, cricket became popular on Channel 4 because it was on free-to-air. And I think ever since it's gone back on free-to-air, it's struggled to an extent of kind of maintaining that popularity. And it was interesting with the 2020 you know, World Cup, uh, a lot of that's been shown on free-to-air because I think the people that run the sport recognise that it needs to have a free-to-air element because otherwise, over time, their audiences just dwindle. I mean, Charlotte, there's been a kind of a bit more of this in recent years where 
broadcasters sharing the rights because I think with the with um, Super League some will still be on Sky and, and there's 10, uh, 10 being shown on, on Channel 4 um, do you think there's more of this in the future this sort of sharing across broadcasters Are the days of locking it all in gone I hope so I think it I think it makes sense it's a win-win for them all and I think getting more sport on free to air is really good for all the reasons Leon just said I agree with everything Leon just said <laughs> I mean, I suppose there is also this thing of the if you're Sky, you do suddenly have a bit more of a limited budget to spend on sports rights. There's more competition from other platforms. You know that your business model is changing and, you know, making people pay 80, 90 quid a month for a Sky package is maybe not going to last forever. And they've have they got to rethink a little bit about what their offer is. Basically, Sky need to pay as much money as they can to keep the football. And the, those val- those rights, they've stopped going up so much, but they're still very expensive. So I guess maybe they're having to save money elsewhere to keep the things that they really do need to keep, which is basically Premier League football. Uh, well, we'll be back with more media talk and conversions uh, after this. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome back. Charlotte and Leon are still with me and it's time for some media news in brief. Uh, firstly, Andrew Marr has announced he's leaving his Sunday morning show on BBC One and indeed uh, the BBC. Uh, Charlotte, where is he going and, and why? So he's off to Global, which owns LBC and Classic FM, where uh, he'll be presenting shows on both of those. To summarise the reason, it seems to be largely that he wants to sort of have his own voice back. BBC obviously is all about impartiality and presenters not sharing their own views on things. It's also been reported that in particular he wants to share his view a lot more on climate change. So it'll be interesting if he does start speaking out on that issue. Um But yeah, on LBC, he'll be giving his view on the biggest issues of the moment, he says, uh, with agenda setting guests. And then on Classic FM, he'll be still doing interviews, but obviously talking about music as well. And he's going to do a weekly podcast and write a regular column. But what I thought was interesting was the fact that he's gone to Global, um, sort of following in the footsteps of um, uh, Eddie Mayer, who left 
BBC Radio 4's PM for LBC in 2018 and also BBC Newsreader Moira Stewart who left for Classic FM um, in the same year. So bit of a trend there. I mean, I think it seems a bit of a coup for Global. He would have had probably quite a lot of opportunities, you know, maybe not GB News, but again, Talk TV, which we'll talk about in in a bit. Um, other operators going freelance, do, doing other things. I mean, when I saw this, I thought, I bet he ends up doing a very, very visualised Sunday morning show on LBC. And when you look what LBC are doing they are very much pushing into the the TV side. They haven't really announced a, a, a channel like the others have, but you could you could say that they're getting their ducks in a row for something. I mean, Leon, it's it's a pretty good get for them, isn't it? Yeah, it's really huge. I mean, he's got like a, a reach that's kind of like beyond the the, the sort of Westminster bubble, I think, Ma. And I was really surprised by this. I must say, I didn't see it coming. I thought he'd be there forever. So, um, and, you know, he'll obviously be being paid a lot. And I imagine like a lot of the presenters that have left, they're probably not only because they like, you might get a bit more money, but they don't like the fact that their pay is publicly, you know, available and they would rather, you know, take that off the books, as it were. I didn't know the thing you're saying, Charlotte, about his views on climate change. Is he a, is he a climate sceptic? Is that, is that this? Because presumably if he's on the BBC, is that one, is that the issue, do you think? Uh, I don't think sceptic. I think... Um... Just, just um, he thinks coverage uh, on climate change just needs to be more rigorous and and better. And I think he's he's the other way, from what I could tell. Oh, he's the other. Way. Okay. Oh, because I was yeah, I was like the BBC generally seem quite pro, uh, you know, climate change as an issue. I was, he thinks there's not enough of it. Oh, that's interesting. I thought we'd suddenly be go- he'd be going like you know it's all a hoax. And now here's Somala. Like, you know, I thought that, that but it's not gonna, it's not going to be that. Oh no, it. no, yeah. He did actually write. Um, he did manage to write a, a newspaper column this year where he urged timid politicians to leave vacuous generalities behind on the climate crisis. So um, he's definitely um, in in that direction. But yeah, the Guardian it was that reported uh, about his views on climate in particular. So. Um, It'll be interesting what other stuff he speaks out on that he never has been able to before. He might be into QAnon. (laughs) (laughs) The UK chapter of QAnon, uh, we'll we'll see. Finally, I can speak the truth on LVC. There's an interesting thing about BBC. If you're a BBC journalist, I mean, you get it from all angles, don't you? It's like clearly left wing and then in like the tweet below clearly right wing in the pocket of Boris Johnson I mean they really can't win um, so Mars gone we had after Andrew Neil went for, for GB News um, Laura Koonsberg said she wants out of the politics editor role I mean there is a bit of a BBC talent drain going on is it something they should be worried about Charlotte? Uh, it's interesting you say that because also and I think maybe this went slightly underreported um, is a lot of um, quite senior, but more like less well known, more under the radar. BBC journalists have left over the past year or so as well. There have been a lot of cuts across the country, um, so a lot more in the sort of local newsrooms, um, and a lot of people who had been around a long time have left. So yeah, I think it's a valid concern that that lots of sort of veteran journalists are leaving, and. Um, there'll be a slight gap there and we sort of as yet like none of these roles people can agree on who's the best to fill them so there's sort of a lot of speculation but no clear answers um so it'll be interesting where they go with all of these um yeah I, i mean i do think the bbc have a lot of amazing younger journalists too so i i think 
they're not they're not going to be in immediate trouble <laughs> they they have an amazing newsroom still I mean, Leon, is it just the curse of today? You know, if you have a big prestigious job, it's just a poison chalice. You know, you 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 know a big chunk of people or a decent sized chunk of people will just think you're a shill for someone, whether whether you are or not. Oh, yeah, I think that's in a way that's a sign of you're doing your job well, isn't it? I guess that's the way you know, I know in the old days, that was the way that the BBC used to assess what their coverage of Palestine was. It's like if they were getting equal number of complaints from either side, they were like, that's basically our job is, you know, we, that's, that's how they measured it. So, and if you're an individual that, yeah, you're going to get criticized from, 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 you know, both sides often. Um, I do think in terms of who replaces Andrew Marr, I think we're about to talk about somebody that would obviously want that job in a bit. Uh, but as Charlotte says, there, there's no shortage of journalists at the BBC. I think 80% of their entire spend is essentially on news gathering. The BBC It's one of those facts that when you hear it, you can't quite believe it almost like if you think about, that as an organisation is very but much based around news. So there are lots of very talented journalists there that will fill the gaps. Uh, and looking at another operator uh, that has uh, has its own involvement in news uh, is BuzzFeed. I mean, a bit of a turbulent 2020, but they just announced a leap in revenues and they've said they're likely to float early in December. Um, though looking at it currently, it's one of those fashionable mergers with a blank check company. So a sort of backdoor way to get a stock market listing. Um, I mean, Charlotte, they've kind of wound up a lot of their news operation, a lot of their sort of investigations and original journalism. Are they out of the news business or do you think this is something that will allow them to, to get back in? Because, I mean, they did pretty well when they they, they uh, started uh, going into this space. Yeah, I think they very much deny that they've closed all news operations. They, um, they did keep some investigative journalists, I believe. Um, it was last year when they, they closed basically the general news desks of uh, the UK newsroom and Australia as well and US had cuts but I think they are you know there's still journalism going on in the US. For me what was interesting about this was the fact that um, advertising revenues are really bouncing back in online media and um, and so people were worried about that after the pandemic perhaps they don't need to be too much yet um, you know it's it's all going in the right direction but yeah I I don't know if they will if they will add more journalists again or if sort of what they've settled on at the moment is is clearly working. I mean Leon what is the BuzzFeed brand now? Is it is it entertainment? Is it news? What what should what should they uh, be doubling down on? Well it seems to me I I used to read BuzzFeed a lot more than I do now but it seems to me that they've learned that really their huge growth into you know proper journalism quote unquote was just not going to be pay off. Mm. And actually, they've consolidated back to what they were good at, which is entertainment and listicles and all that kind of stuff. Which, and I, and I guess in that space, they will be profitable, but only ever at a certain scale. So the idea of this being a huge media empire that spans the globe, that's gone, you know, sort of toe to toe with the likes of I don't know CNN or whatever, that's not going to happen because if they've realised what their core brand is, is something which is a slightly more limited reach, and they do it very well. And if they can turn a profit which it looks like they might now do finally, uh, then that's what they should just keep doing. And, and maybe not, they, possibly they were victims of their, you know, having too high ambitions for what they could become. I mean, fair play for them for trying, but it, it is challenging to to get to do what they did and they didn't quite manage it. I mean, they've sort of followed the sort of Verizon Yahoo-esque model of just uh, acquiring some other publications, just going for scale, page views, um, doesn't really matter what what people are consuming providing it's from it's from their servers yeah that is obviously one model but it, it doesn't 
I think if you do that too much, you start you dilute your audience, and the quality obviously goes down, and people start to not know what you're really there for. So I think that's where they maybe uh, I possibly made a misstep. I, I, I'm not an expert on BuzzFeed, I must say. I'm happy to be proven wrong on that one. I think let's not forget that they um, own Huff Post now as well, um, and they've been doing a similar thing. Uh, in the UK, they sort of got rid of their general news desk, but they're still doing politics, entertainment, lifestyle. Um, so it's they've sort of chosen a few verticals. Sorry for the jargon, and but but are trying to do those really well and have good advertising on them, and you, know, you see them do like sponsored content deals and things like that. And so um, I think it does work, um, like what Liam was saying, to sort of. Just do it fewer things, but do them well and try and make sure you do are still visited for those those particular subjects. Moving on to Ipso, it looks like just 10% of the complaints received by the UK's biggest press regulator during the first year of the pandemic were about COVID-19, despite the topic obviously dominating the news agenda. Um, Charlotte, you covered this for Press Gazette. Um, of those COVID complaints, one, it doesn't seem like there were loads, but what were the themes? What were people con- concerned about? Although it was 10% of the overall complaints to Ipso, there were a massive amount of complaints for one non-COVID story, which was um, the Stonehaven train derailment in Scotland where the Scottish Sun did a death express front page and um, that got about 15,000 complaints or so I mentioned that only because if you strip them out because um, mm. obviously it's a hugely disproportionate amount of complaints for one story then actually COVID um, related complaints rose to 20% of the total mm. which is still a lot less than you might expect but um, mm. obviously does make it one in five Um yeah, there's uh, a few themes. Um, one was um, opinion pieces. So people sort of um, basically say saying, you know, it's fine to, to have different opinions about things like lockdowns and masks and stuff. But if you're using um, scientific evidence, etc., to back up your view, you have to get it right. Um, and then also um, more generally, yeah, scientific um research and statistics there were a few um sort of common examples of those being an issue um probably down to journalists sort of not being specialists obviously um pretty much every journalist um ended up writing about COVID-19 and most of them aren't health or science journalists so it is understandable that there would be a few things like that and then also um quite an interesting one um is sort of the use of pictures came up quite a few times um for example um being used to try and show people not social distancing during the first Mm -hmm. lockdown Mm -hmm. which feels like a huge amount of time ago that we we were arguing about those things but um uh, for example, um, the Mirror had one where they had a, gr- a group of cyclists pictured and you could see all of their faces and the Mirror said that they were ignoring lockdown rules because they were all out together and one of them re- uh, complained and said, "What? I was just out for my daily exercise with one person. I don't know who those other cyclists were because the picture made them look closer together. So I thought that was uh, quite interesting. But yeah, um, overall, and I think this is a consensus that we've reported a few times, um, journalists did a good job and they generally, you know, listened to the scientific advice. And one thing that was of note um, that we mentioned was that the UK still has a lot of science and health specialists and a lot of other countries don't due to cuts. And that we think definitely made a difference. Uh, Leon, what's your take on that? 
I think there's another, there's one other slight interpretation of that this kind of these figures I had, which is one. Obviously, there was incredible like homogeneity of opinion generally in the country about lockdown in general. So people aren't likely to complain because it's generally what they were reading the papers was what everyone agreed with. But and the people that don't agree with it. I don't think they are, they're looking on the mainstream media so much anymore. They're getting their news from elsewhere. So they're not going to make a complaint about something generally that in the Daily Mail or the Mirror because they're not getting their news. So if, you, if you're coming from this from a very different like anti-lockdown view, I don't think those people are going to make complaints because they've sort of, a lot of them have sort of given up and moved on from the mainstream media. And I, I know that's quite cliche to say it, but so that I, I think that's slightly reflected as well. I think there's probably are more people out there that have issue with the way things are reported, but just don't engage with the mainstream media in the way that uh, people used to. So I, I think that that's another interpretation of why there was relatively few complaints, I, I propose at least. So before we head to the infamous media quiz, let's check in on the other new news TV launch, long in the running, uh, Talk TV. Uh, there's been talk of hourly news bulletins, sport and entertainment shows, current affairs, debate, opinions, documentaries. Whether it will all happen, I guess we'll see. Um, I mean, Leon, Piers Morgan signed up. We've talked about in the, that in the past. Do we know anything else that's happening at Talk TV? Well, apparently hired, they've hired quite a few uh, sort of production talent from Good Morning Britain. I think a, seat, a couple of the senior editors there. Uh, I think three, two people from Good Morning Britain and one person from uh, the Pat, Pat, Steph's Packed Lunch. So they, they're obviously building a team of quite, you know, ex- senior, talented execs. Um, the thing I think about Talked TV, I nearly said it. Every time I see the name, I think of Talk yes. Talk, you know, the broadband <laughs> provider. And I, I can't, my brain cannot see it because it's Talk and then a big capital T. I'm sure at some point I'll stop seeing it, but I keep thinking, why Talk Talk? Why have Talk Talk hired Piers Morgan? They go, oh no, no, it's Talk TV. It's that thing that Rupert Murdoch's doing. So I don't know. It doesn't. It's not the most exciting branding I've ever heard, but you know, I guess it's, it says what it does on the. I team, mean, they obviously learned from what happened at GB News, and they are they're loading in a load of decent people who know who know what to do. And the Murdochs don't tend to underfund uh, these projects, do they? And they've obviously spent uh, enough money on peers. I think we've been told there's going to be some shows from Talk Radio and uh, Times Radio. I've started to see things like the Culture Show pop up with with the Times. Um, that's currently on YouTube, where I think most of the views. Uh, look like they've been driven by um, uh, YouTube advertising rather than uh, rather than organic ones, but obviously building building an audience that way. Um, what else do you think is going to be on on the channel? Is is there is there something for a sort of slightly less right wing newsy entertainment service? Are you, are you say, asking whether I'm going to pitch shows to talk? Well, TV? if they've got some budget, uh, would, would you would would you do <laughs> it? They were taking outside pitches. Well, uh, yeah, like a panel show, maybe like a, a right wing panel show. Uh, that kind of thing. You think, yeah, I mean, you know, I'll look at it. Um, yeah, see what the budgets are like, maybe. I mean, Charlotte, what, what do you think their proposition will be compared to, to GB News? Do you think they will be a, bit, a little bit more centrist? Yeah, I think so. I mean, if we look at Times Radio, um, obviously they use a lot of Times journalists, um, but it's not like LBC or even Talk Radio, which obviously is the same company, but it's pretty, yeah, if we're using that word centrist, I guess, I would say it's pretty measured and reasonable, um, and it which has a very different tone to GB News, and it does seem like they are because, as you've just said, you know, we're, they're going to use um, journalists and contents that sort sort of springs from across their different um, existing brands, so Talk Radio, The Times, The Sun. Um, so I can't see any of them suddenly jumping to 
being super right wing in your face. I think it will be slightly more measured. And I think um, Rupert Murdoch wouldn't be putting money into this if he didn't think there was an audience. And so then they're not going to just go for the exact same audience anyway. I wouldn't have thought even I I mean, they'd love it if those people came over, obviously, um, if they get fed up of GB News or if they're only there for Farage or whatever. But yeah, I think they've thought this through and we sort of just have to wait and see. Well, we will see what it's like uh, early, early next year. Uh, All of that brings us to the media quiz. This week, it's entitled Don't Look Back. So I'm going to name a media brand and you've got to tell me why they've decided to not look back this week. So there's three rounds. Buzz in with your name if you know the answer. So Leon, you will say... Leon. And Charlotte, you will say... Charlotte. So let's play Don't Look Back. Right, number one... Kevin Spacey. Leon? Leon. Why is Kevin Spacey not looking back? Because he's been asked to pay $30 million for his behaviour on House of Cards. Uh, yes. Which just seems... I mean, it's an extraordinary amount of money, obviously. but Because um, I think he only... It was the sixth season that got cut short by like five episodes... And they're saying they want $30 million off him, presumably also for breaches of his behavioural contract as well. But uh, I'd be interested to see if he pays it. Um, uh, so he settled with Netflix um, for breaking settled. his contract um, yep, uh, over professional behaviour. Uh, $30, $30 million according to AP. Uh, I think they the it was partly professional behaviour and also partly that they had to act some episodes and it, 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 it screwed up their deal. He appealed it. It then got reviewed and still found that he had to pay up so we believe he is paying up so he's got to pay i mean is this is this leon a you know these are sort of things that have always been in people's contracts but maybe have never been enforced um is it something you look at a bit closer when you're doing deals with talent now yeah weirdly i didn't i don't think it is in people's contracts as much as people think it would it is now but when i was at Fremantle and this you know that me too sort of became a story that we, we there was a kind of uh, you know, lots of talent had to be renegotiated and put insert clauses into their contracts. And anyone on new shows had to have co- those clauses. But it was surprising how few of these clauses were in existing contracts. I guess the spacey one, you know, how, how old is that show? Seven or eight years ago and Netflix are quite a progressive brand. So those clauses obviously were there, but it, it, it wasn't common until like the last five years. Okay, question two on the quiz. Uh, composer of the snowman, Howard Blake. Uh, Charlotte. Charlotte. Uh, so I actually studied music at university, so I quite enjoyed this story. Um, basically, he was angry that um, uh, the BBC had done an arrangement for Radio 3 that, that used a choir instead of instruments for the snowman music, and he thought that this was a vile desecration of his work, which I thought was a bit strong, perhaps. And the BBC, uh, correct, you're, you're right, the BBC have pulled it from the Christmas schedule. Um, and in their comment, they sort of said, we thought we'd, basically, we thought we'd cleared this with both you and Man <laughs> and your people. Clearly not. So th- th- they pulled it, which they didn't have to. Are we, do you think we're never going to get to hear it? I mean, that, I feel like this should be like release the Snyder cuts. I, want, I feel like the, the, the world needs to hear this. How bad was it? Maybe it'll be the torrent over Christmas that everyone's downloading or they should push it as a BBC Sounds exclusive. Uh, Right. uh, Well done, Charlotte. Uh, Number three uh, for this one, uh, for the win, um, BBC Birmingham. Uh, Leon? Leon. Uh, 
they're looking for a new site there. I think this is the story. The BBC Birmingham are they're relocating more people out of London to the regions and Birmingham. They're looking for a new site. My hope is they bring back Pe- Pebble Mill. That's that's really <laughs> what we, you know. If they could, that's the get Titchmarsh back at Pebble Mill. It worked then. It'll work again. So um, yeah, I think it's I think it's Birmingham. They're looking for a new site in Birmingham. Uh, that's right. Um, I think their lease is coming to an end on the mailbox in 2026. They're looking somewhere new to to put themselves, um, including, I think, the Archers. I think that comes from Birmingham. Yes, maybe there's to be a new media thing of like demolishing the nice housing that went up on the old buildings and putting in uh, TV and radio studios. Maybe that could be that could be the big thing. Uh, so, yes, well done, uh, Leon. Uh, that crowns you the winner of the media quiz. Well done. Thank, thank you. <laughs> so that's our show for today Uh, my thanks to Charlotte and Leon if you've enjoyed this episode uh, why not bung us the price of a glass of champagne from your favourite opera house just head to themediapodcast.com slash donate and of course follow us to hear new episodes when they drop on your podcast app of choice if you haven't got one don't worry just subscribe at podfollow.com slash themediapodcast my name's Matt Deegan you can find my weekly newsletter about the audio industry and more at mattdeegan.com and the producer was Matt Hill this was a rethink audio and ppm production we'll be back again very soon probably just before christmas actually Uh, i'll see you then bye-bye hi i'm daniel founder of pretty litter cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter that's why i teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create pretty litter its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80 percent less than clay litter Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.